to the So Wizards podcast. I'm Kevin Broom. Gave Ron Oaks Cunningham the day off. He had something else to do. So I've invited back on my old co-host, Ben Becker. I say old advisedly. I meant old as in former, not ancient like I am. But um, so what Ben and I are going to do is sort of a freeform post-mortem of the Wizards. We're going to talk all things Wizards. Um, it's kind of like almost a po- uh, a tradition almost, a postseason tradition. We usually have these conversations um, and then a f- for a few years we even recorded them, but um, we figured might as well have the conversation recorded again. So Ben, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, old friend. Um, yeah. It, it's, uh, it, it's lovely to be talking to you. I, I got a Facebook memory today which a friend of mine who's a Cleveland Cavaliers fan nine years ago had sent me a a screenshot that said, you know, it it was a screenshot of the box score of that day's Wizards-Cavs game. And it said, you know, the battle for ping pong balls or something like that. And that was nine years ago. And now the Cavs are a promising uh, young team who uh, look to have a very bright future. And the Wizards are the Wizards, still fighting for ping pong balls and uh, hey, they're, they're, going all in for the for the play in. I guess they're contending for the play in now. So yeah, content. Know. That's right. We're yes. contending for the play in. Contending. So yeah. So I mean, anybody listening to this podcast has to know Wizards uh, won 35 games this year. They're beating Vegas expe- uh, expectations by what, half a game? So Yeah, it's funny. Them. Like I, re- I remember before the season thinking like, ah, the Wizards are going to be like, they got Spencer Dinwiddie. They got all these guys, you know, in the Westbrook trade. Like they're going to be solidly mediocre. You know, like 40 wins, 41 wins is a lock. I, you know, I'm not a sports gambler, but if I was like, I had friends asking me, like, does this over look good to you? And then they start out 10 and three. And I'm like, man, maybe I should have thrown a little cash yeah. on this. And lo and behold, Vegas knows all. Like, they barely hit that over. Yeah. Uh, finish 25 and 44 or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, my um, my preseason prediction was 39 wins. Um, that proved to be a little optimistic as well. Um you know, maybe if Beal had played a relatively full schedule, they might have gotten to 39. But um, yeah, as the, as the resident Eeyore, even during the 10 and 3, there were things I, I, I was seeing that I wasn't thrilled with and I was concerned, you know, like the the great three-point defense. It's like that's one of the keys to look at anytime you see like a weird outlier kind of um, run or, you know, team wins three, four in a row you know, and they're, they're not that good as you look at opponent three-point shooting, especially on like open and wide open shots. And usually you'll find that the opponents are just bricking open threes. And um, when, when that luck reverts, then, then the results change. And that is a bit of what happened with the wizards and some of their luck changed too. You know, they were cleaning shots early, but you know, it's, it's funny that you say the resident Eeyore because um, uh, I, I think both both of us would be characterized by people with whom we interact on Twitter as like very negative. Mm-hmm. And um, I've known you a long time. I actually don't think you're a negative person at all. But I think that like what has happened culturally with Wizards fandom is there there are a few different camps, and one of them is you're either like totally totally Pollyanna or if you're a realist and and see the fact that like things aren't good then therefore you're Eeyore so like yeah yeah um I I, unfortunately history has borne out the fact that you have not been overly pessimistic pretty pretty damn accurate and 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 I've always you know in player evaluations and, and you know arguing with people about Rui Hachimura on Twitter, I've, I've always couched it with, God, I would love to be wrong. Yeah. I would love it if he was the next Kawhi Leonard. Oh, um, yeah. But 
but you know the problem is is year after year after year we are met with the harsh reality of um it's not just that they're not good they're not close yeah and what has happened with the wizards you know going back to my Cavs example is that like over the wizards have uh you know bradley beal is now you know uh, approaching 30 um or or 29 you know he's he's not he's not young um the wizards have a bad record and they have some of the worst by which i mean sort of lowest reasonable upside collection of of sub 25 talent in the league mm-hmm. so there there are just not many teams who are worse than the wizards in the standings who don't have more kind of built-in upside in their roster uh, in terms of young players. Like, you know, Detroit's terrible, but Kate Cunningham's probably going to be a stud. Mm -hmm. Um, Orlando's bad, but, but they have, uh, they have a a pretty promising collection of young guys. um, I I think. And, you know, they're about to have a, a a top five pick. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and, you know, we don't have to go through every single one, but, You'd be you'd be hard pressed to find any or or more than one or two tops teams who are both as bad as the Wizards and also don't have a a more promising collection of young talent. And so, yeah, here we are. Yeah. Yeah. Again. So um, a a few a couple few weeks ago, I haven't I'll renew it again sometime during the summer. But I took a look at twenty five and under talent in the Wizards when I did that ranked eighteenth currently in terms of okay. production from players 25 and under. That's currently. But when you start forecasting out, I just use a simple aging effect, um, you know, based on, I do as basically, I do a study every two, three years where I look at, you know, the aging effect. Cause I'm always sort of testing this wizard's theory that, you know, age doesn't matter as much anymore because of the way guys take care of themselves. I have yet to find evidence to support the wizard's belief in that, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. That means maybe I, I just haven't been able to find it yet. But anyway, when I apply the simple aging effect, the wizards start moving down. So um, because, you know, the, the other teams have younger players or they have higher, you know, more producing players. You think about like under 25 or 25 and under, like, for example, in Boston, you've got like Jason Tatum, you've got Robert mm-hmm. Williams, you've got um, Jalen Brown is like the old guy. He's 25. Yeah, I think he's 25 now. So, I mean, you look at that team and it's like, that team is loaded already with young players. You look at Memphis. I mean, they've got an eight-man rotation of 25 yeah. other players. That's yep. like a playoff team rotation, right? And, and two extra first-round picks. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy. It's so crazy when you think about it. Like that Phoenix um, with 25 and under players. I mean, they've got lots of them, lots of good ones, like, you know, Aiton and Bridges and... Um, Booker, it's I think still just twenty five. It's and crazy. Cam Johnson and Cam Johnson, yeah. yeah. So it's like you you've got you look at um, Dallas has got Doncic, right? It, that by itself makes him uh, make yeah. His, uh, his, and he's twenty two. So, but the the point I'm, I'm getting to is like they just keep moving. The, the Wizards, the further out you go, you go out with the, like you take that age cohort, the twenty five and under, and you start extending it out, and the Wizards start moving down um, in terms of down into the twenties. And, you know, over like a five-year period, they forecast out just, again, simple average aging effects to about like 24th, 25th, which is kind of about where their record is right now. And so I certainly, towards the end of the season, caught a lot of flack for being quote-unquote negative. And the, the way that I look at it is... I, one, the market is already saturated with cheerleaders. Um, you've, you've already got like, you know, the broadcast. I, I was really embarrassed by Glenn. I know you, you and I both know Glenn Consort. I think we both really like Glenn. Um, I've spent a lot of time talking to him over the years. And I thought like his performance during that Knicks game was kind of, was really embarrassing. It was just, I compared it to Baghdad Bob. It was like just such cheerleading nonsense that I was really surprised it was coming out of, out of out of Glenn's mouth and yeah I I didn't see that I also think that you know uh uh like it or not the 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 in-game broadcast crew has a has a different role than um than 
local media. Um, but but yeah, but I will totally cop to the fact that the any of the broadcast partners, um, and and you certainly see this on the, um, you know, the production of the of the TV broadcast where they give you these you know these ridiculous stats like double doubles by players under the age of twenty eight in the last twenty games, and it's like. Yeah. Look, Daniel Gafford ranks third in the league, you know, or, or, yeah, or something yeah. like that. It's, um, it's the thing my son always, you know, I've talked about it before. My son, one time when he was probably 10, 11 years old, he's sitting there watching and Buck Hans is reading off. You know, the Wizards are first in offensive rebounds since over the last, you know, nine games or whatever. Right. And it's like and so like the fifth or sixth time my son finally says, like, if the Wizards are so good at everything, why do they always lose? <laughs> you know yeah so yeah um yeah right and and so you, you know the, what what we don't the, the question that we don't know the answer to is like how much of that discussion around the team is is mandated by ownership and mm, um right. you know uh, ownership's uh goals for the business uh dictate all of this strategic stuff right uh, dictate all this stuff with the roster you know this whole and 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 if if you haven't read it or if any of the uh four people listening haven't read it i would highly recommend the the david aldridge josh robbins athletic piece that um that just came out which is a little bit of a post-mortem and and also a little bit of where do we go from here mm-hmm. and and it basically you know aldridge complains that like look um, and rightfully so that like Leonsa says he's never going to tank, but like, how do you expect to get off this treadmill? Like you're about to give like Aldridge and Robbins both acknowledge that Beal's not worth the supermax contract that he's about to get. Um, and, uh, and ownership is, seems very, you know, quite content not to try very hard to, um, and, and so, uh when you have that situation it's sort of like all right well what can we do what can we do this summer to make sure you know to to improve modestly but um with this asset base and and with these organizational goals they're never going to take a step back in order to take a step forward and uh, you know barring ridiculous uh low probability luck there's no other way to to significantly increase the upside of uh, of the so, team. So the, the way I look at it, it's like, the, so the Wizards, fine, you, you never want to tank. I'm, I'm more or less okay with that. Fine, if you don't, if you don't want to tank, don't tank, right? You try to win, build your team, right? But the Wizards are really trying to kind of do both at, at the same time. And it's, it's, this is still, I mean, what was it? We, we've been talking about, them picking a lane for what three years now? Four? Yeah, I, I, I think that may have been the the. It was after the bubble that I wrote the piece for Bullets Forever that begged them to choose a lane. Right, and and I just said like the the bubble provided them incontrover- incontrovertible proof and evidence that they were not good enough. Like, yeah. they, you know, they got destroyed in the bubble. And yes, they didn't have most of their good players, but that was the point. That was the point. Yeah. <laughs> that was the point in that, like, they didn't, they do not have the depth to, um, or, or upside um, to withstand any sort of injury. Yeah. And sort of, and, and that's, that's great. Like, that was a nice little dose of reality. And so, do one of two things from that either say you know what we are going to try to build we're going to try to do what leonza said he wanted to do when he bought the team which is to say you know uh build a perennial uh upper tier playoff team that when things go right you're challenging for a championship Mm -hmm. you know um and in order to do that, we're going to strip it down to the studs. And and like it, you know, in his early days of his manifesto, it's sort of like be on, you know, do an honest self-assessment. Oh, and if yeah. you're not good enough, 
tear it down. And 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 oh, and if you and if you say, you know what, I just I don't think that our fan base has the stomach for this, and it's too costly and whatever. If uh, I, I don't I don't agree with that assessment, but if that's the assessment that you're going to make, then then stop dicking around with. Um, you know, with mid-tier draft picks and stuff like that, and like, and and go overpay for whatever established right. veteran it is to 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 go try to get the five seed. Yeah. So when like, so so when people are saying like, oh, like, uh, I don't think the Wizards should should trade for Malcolm Brogdon or Mike Conley or whatever. It's like, well, I don't think they should either <laughs> because I, I I think that's that represents the wrong strategic choice but within the strategic choice that they've already kind of made it's a hell of a lot better than 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 the other options right um the key there so, the key words there is is that they've kind of made because they they keep making these picks like you know for example i mean I, I don't even want to go too deep on like Danny Avdia over. You're about to talk Tyrese, about Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton. I, I, so let's get let's yeah. skip that one because obviously okay. the Wizards would be much better if they had picked Halliburton. Halliburton is yeah. really freaking yeah. good. Um, so forget that. Let's even forget about Rui over anybody else, right? Talk about Kispert versus Shingun. Now Kispert was better as a rookie than Shingun. He should have been. He's a four-year college player at a high-level school, right? And he should have come in and been better right from the start. Shingun might end up being an absolute bust, right? That's possible. Maybe he just doesn't have an NBA position ultimately. Maybe he never gets strong enough or something like that. But at 19, he showed all manner of flashes that he can play, like he can really freaking play. Now, he also showed all kinds of flashes that he really still doesn't have too much of a clue of how to play in the NBA. You know, he threw the ball away a lot. He missed shots. He doesn't play defense well. Yeah, he's 19, right? And so if you're oh, if you're, you're talking about Russell Westbrook for a second. Right. But if you're trying to get, <laughs> if you're trying to get off the treadmill, right? If you're trying to break from the treadmill, you've got to make some picks that are going to give you some variance. And so a guy like Shangun might do that. But more to the point, and I is, guarantee you that the Wizards didn't consider him, not because they evaluated him and said he's not good, but they were like, well, we've got Daniel Gafford and we've got Thomas Bryant. So what need do we have for a high variance, high upside big man? What we need is a shooter. Yeah. And, and if we've learned anything from observing, analyzing, watching basketball over the course of our adult lives, it's like, you, you don't draft for need. You, You just don't. And you know, if you have, if, if, if you have two guys in the same, here who are rated basically the same and one guy is a better fit than the other like okay right. fine yeah. that's the guy that but um uh yeah the 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 notion of saying that this 22 year old is going to come in and help our team like do are, are we really that naive do, do we yeah. do we really right. have we really not learned at this point that there's like you know a handful of rookies a decade who are who yeah. are plus winning players right and and that's okay yeah um so and then but the other thing is that with their their goal of like we're going to win now we're going to win as much as we can we're going to build around brad beal okay you you hit on a bunch of them but one of the things is they're not really fully committed to that because they're they're still hanging on to the picks they're not they haven't really made a big move to get somebody in getting westbrook in was kind of a big move um you know potentially um then they let him play hurt and you know all that kind of stuff and they made a nice run you know scott brooks figured out some stuff with their rotation they had some guys get hurt which sort of forced them to shorten the rotation and westbrook started playing at a really at a pretty high level and so they, they were able to, to get there and it sort of showed what the team theoretically could do if you have an actual like number one like number one talented player. We'll get to get to some stuff there. But the key point I think that you made, and we'll, we'll get to this. I'll, this will actually probably be a segue into some homework I did for this, um, is that, that Leonsis Plank in his like manifesto of be honest, right? Be honest. And it, he, he was referring to that in the team aspect, but 
as you as you're looking at the team, you have to be honest about how good each individual player is. And yeah. their insistence that Bradley Beal is a genuine building block is crazy. I like Beal. I've, I've enjoyed watching his entire career. He's a very good player. He's not somebody that you build a franchise around. This is an incredibly boring podcast because we think 90, the, the Venn diagram of our, uh, of, of, of our opinions, there's a lot of overlap, but like, I love Beal, man. Like uh, I, I met, when Beal was a rookie, he went, he, he did an autograph signing at the then new Walmart on Georgia Avenue. And like my kids were like, I don't know, my kids were like uh, six and three or five and two or something like that. Mm-hmm. I brought them, you know, they had, I had gotten them Beal jerseys. He was 19 years old. And like, you know, we get up to the front of the line to get an autograph and my kids were super shy. And, you know, he'd been sitting in line. Uh, he'd been sitting at this table for however long. And like, he was so kind. And I was just, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I've, I was, um, I was struck by how uh, self-possessed and, mm-hmm. in a, and, and just a kind he was mm-hmm. for any 19 year old, let alone yeah. a pro athlete or whatever. I was like, what a great guy. And then like, you know, he's had wonderful moments um, as a wizard and, and all this stuff. Um, You know, my personal favorite being the, in the Indiana series when he, he rips a rebound away from Roy Hibbert and then dribbles up court and, and hits a a pull up three from the top of the key. That, That was one of my favorite field moments, but I, that is, that is emotion and that is that that is uh that is love speaking yeah <laughs> um and uh i at the same time i do not understand how the wizards can look at the fact that they have had not one but two supermax players on their on their roster over the last 2 years and and what what chaos was created by having those players performing at way below super max levels and and then say yeah l- let's sign up for this again like yeah. <laughs> I, I that just that yeah. is the height of insanity yeah yeah so um leading into the into the the, the being honest part and th- this will actually be potentially somewhat hopeful in the in this so one of the reasons i liked the deal that they made for porzingis is one they got yep. rid of a couple of guys i didn't want and two porzingis when he can stay on the court is a legit so okay he, let me he's back good up. he's good he's a very good player he's an all-star right i mean he's an all-star level performer whether he actually makes the team or not is immaterial to me i'm talking about what he produces like right he's a legit all-star you could sort of side eye squint your way into thinking he could be like a you know if you if if you had like a 15 all nba 16 all nba you know he he'd probably be on that um you know if you top, play him at center but you know if he's healthy top 25 top 30 guy yeah yeah so okay so that would give so okay so let me back up so here's what i did so i took my ppa metric right and i went through and figured out like where each basically what's the year ranking your rotation. What's the average performance for a number one guy? What's the average performance mm-hmm. for a number two? Taking the entire league into, into account. I won't read off columns of numbers here, but so first I'll just go through, like, this is just for this season, right? Porzingis is like a, a, a little bit below average one or a solid two, right? So he's mm-hmm. a, he's a one, two on a, on a average team, say to, you know, right around, Again, a little blow. So he'd be like a one minus or like a two plus, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> number two on the Wizards in production was Daniel Gafford, who would be like a solid third starter, right? He's yep. a third guy for most team for most teams. Now the Wizards obviously want him to come off the bench. Um, he'll probably play some with um, with Porzingis in the future. Yeah, Porzingis they toyed with that a little bit, and it seemed yeah. like it. Th- there's some potential there especially because Porzingis prefer, prefers to play away from the basket and he doesn't yeah. really, 
enjoy the, the physical stuff. And so yeah. um, you, you can do that. So Beal this season played like an average four or five, right? Yep. Low end four, high end fifth starter, right? Then you go to, um, now here's where it gets interesting. So Sadoransky, if you look only at his time with the Wizards, is like a fifth starter, right? If you look at his whole season, he's like a 10th man. Yeah. So you figure he's really probably more like a six, seven than, than a five, but yeah, which, and, and I would say that like, based on his body of work and what we saw when he was here the first time, also another guy I love and mm-hmm. thrilled that he's back and like, um, but yeah, like if, if you're relying on him for 32 minutes a night, like you're probably not very good unless, you know, you have Giannis or something yeah, or Kevin right. Durant. Oh, he'd be great with Giannis or Durant because he doesn't need to shoot the ball. You know, in the yeah. final game of the season, he was I the love team's that most productive double, double. player. He was their most productive, you know, in my metric, but you know, and he scored five points. <laughs> so, and it's not because the, the metric looks at everything, right? It looks at yeah. the total. So, and, okay. And didn't, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So keep, just go, keep going for a second. So Kuzma, he, his PPA for the year ended up at, 108 that's like a fifth or sixth man you know for again like a five minus or a six super polarizing like guy that's something where like you know uh huge portions of wizards twitter or whatever um you know are are just like hey like this guy's if he's healthy a whole season like kyle kuzma is going to be an all-star and i'm just like bullshit like i i you know, one of the when, when you and I started talking about basketball together, you know, 20 years ago, one of the most important yeah. lessons I took away from our discussions, you know, be, you were like my my Jedi, which is a very scary thought, but just like everything matters, like the the bad shit you do as a player counts just as much as the good shit you do. Yeah. And um and and th- this is not baseball. There are no lefty reliever specialists. Yeah. You know, to say like you we're gonna bring in a guy and and he's a knockdown shooter. Well, like if he can't defend or if he can't attack a closeout or whatever, like hi there, Davis Davis hurt you more. Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's probably gonna uh, hurt you more than he helps. And Davis Bertanz's case, he also forgot how to shoot. But that's yeah. a that's you know. Hashtag so wizard. Um, right. And so, but this also, you know, to feed into the, the wizards, definitely, definitely, definitely subscribe to the school of thought that you build a roster by assembling components of skills, right? So you add Corey Kispert for his shooting. You add this, uh, I don't know, just say Avdia for his defense. You add uh, Ish Smith for his ball handling, right? And then it's like, but the, there's no like realization, it seems, that if you want to use Kispert's shooting, you have to take somebody else off the floor. And then you're stuck with everything that Kispert does, right? Whatever it is. So if he's a great shooter or he's a, just a good shooter, right? And then he gives up just as much on the defensive end or he doesn't rebound or he doesn't can't play make or he can't attack the closeouts. Not saying that those are things he can't do. I'm just say, speaking these hypothetic. But you got to, like we said, you got to take the whole player. So anyway, continue with your point. And as you go back to Kuzma, at, so just to be clear, like I don't think Kuzma sucks. Like mm-hmm. he doesn't suck. Of course he doesn't suck. And it's awesome that he made some big shots in crunch time. Like that's great. Also, like the shots that you make in the second quarter count the same three points as the one you make in crunch time. Oh, yeah. And so this ben, is something Taylor, that people will ben fight Taylor you from, to the death on yeah. and be wrong. Yeah. Um, I think but, ben but Taylor so from like, Thinking Basketball, real quick, just to interject, yeah. but he, he has a terrific chapter in his book, Thinking Basketball, where he talks about leverage. And um, w- w- what he's talking about there is like, the sh- so one of the reasons we think that stuff that happens late in games is more important is because that's what's like the most memorable. That's the recency bias, right? And mm-hmm. so that three-point shot that you take, we, we, you know, one of the things some stat guys have tried to do is say, well, that's a high leverage situation. In reality, the shot in the second quarter was also a high leverage situation because the game ended up being close and you missed that shot early. 
And so it may have felt like there was less pressure or less defensive intensity or whatever. But the fact is then, well, you should have made it, <laughs> right? If it well, was and, less- and it and 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 the other thing that that you know I learned from you early on is that in general, good teams tend to take leads and hold them. You, mm-hmm. you know, this notion of like, oh, the wizards are good, they're just not clutch. You know, it's like, oh, they or they're they, they're not consistent is the other one. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are. Like the 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 best teams just score more points over the course of the game than their opponents. As <laughs> profound as that sounds, like I I think that's something that is that is not widely understood. By the way, Kalkuzma is decent, and I and I yeah, have nothing against him, um, but you know the. the in this same Aldridge, Josh Robbins piece, they were talking about like, you know, the interesting things that the Wizards could do with a, a primary triumvirate of Beal, Porzingis, and Kuzma. And it's like, wait, come on, guys. Like, like, yeah, you know, there are some things that Kuzma can do well, but we have a whole body of work over this guy's career to look at. And it's like, if if Kyle Kuzma is your third best player, again, unless the top two are like, you know, Durant and Kyrie Irving or something. I'll say LeBron and Anthony Davis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just by, by way of, of hypothetical example. Yeah. If Kyle Kuzma is your third best player, you're just not very good. Yeah, um, so, and just to interject for a second, because there's a key point about why. And one of the reasons why is that Kuzma's, again, to steal a concept from from Ben Taylor from Thinking Basketball, is Kuzma's efficiency doesn't scale. His efficiency has been below average, really almost no matter how many possessions he uses. So when he was with the Wizards during that quote-unquote hot streak, and when he was using 27% of of the team's possessions when he was in the game, he was still, you know, minus seven, minus eight relative efficiency. But when he was down around like 16, 17, 18% usage or 20% usage, he was also minus seven, minus eight relative efficiency. So most players, the more possessions they use, the less efficient they get, the fewer possessions they use, the more efficient they get. Because if you're using fewer position, possessions, excuse me, you, you're, you're taking easier shots or you can take easier shots. You can yeah. pick and choose. You shoot the open shot versus the contested one, right? You don't have to try to create offense. Now, I guess the bright side of that is that Kuzma, you know, he can, you know, he can get you a he shot. He can scale up and get no worse. Right. He, he doesn't get worse as he scales up. But the problem is, is if he scales down and you've got, say, Beal at 30% usage and, and Porzingis at, uh, you know, 28% usage, you can't really have a third guy in there at 25, 26, 27% usage, especially in, because you've got other players as well. It just doesn't usually work that way. And yeah. if he is using that many possessions, he's hurting your offense because there are going to be more efficient, uh, more efficient uses for those possessions. And so, yeah. but, but if you scale him down to say 18%, then he's still hurting your offense because again, there's more efficient uses of those possessions. Yeah, we had this Bullets Forever round table, you know, during his hot streak. And I was very firmly of the opinion that, like, uh, A, like, peel the onion just, like, a little bit, and you will see that this hot streak is nothing to write home about. The raw stats were impressive, but it wasn't, like, you know, this wasn't something like the 130s PPA over about four to six weeks. Good. You know, but Not right. So it's like, like solidly above average, but but solidly above average. And and oh, by the way, like again, you know, be careful of small samples. Um, and 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 and, and, and drawing sweeping conclusions from it. And so, you know, again, would just love to be wrong that Kyle Kuzma, you know, age twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight you know, morphs into an all-star player, but, but, but let's, let's tether ourselves to reality. Yeah. So um, back to, now. The, to, to the, to the, I'm just going to go a little yeah, further keep going. the rotation. So Kuzma, like I said, a five or a six, right? Ideally, you'd, ideally with every one of these guys, right. Is that if, if they if he's a five, six, your preference would be to play him at a six, 
you know, bring him as the sixth man rather than as the yeah. starter. That would be ideal. So KCP, right? A one-on-one PPA for the year. That that's basically an average six man, right? So mm-hmm. again, you, so now we've got <laughs> three guys in that five-six range. Or uh, so anyway, Hachimura finished with a 97 PPA, high mark of his career. Um, he was a 95 in his rookie year, so basically same yeah. level. Not not a not a again. Not a bad Decent. player. Decent. Like, not bad. Useful but if, in the right situations. Yeah, but, uh, you know, um, but extension eligible and not 21 years old. And so, like, the... the And, and he's it, that's basically, by the way, average of about a seventh man. So seventh yeah. man in your rotation for, for a, you know, for, well, league average. Hence my Nick Young comparison. From, well, Nick from Young never weeks. got to a 97. I don't think ever in his career. I think he topped out in like the 70s. So, um, but stylistically, Young. yeah, stylistically and um, also like level of defensive awareness, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. No, just like guy that helps you when he's making shots. Yeah. And so, um, and that's the thing with Hachimura is that there's a lot of talk, um, you know, Ron likes to call him a three level scorer and stuff like that. Really, what he does well is he he does convert pretty well around the basket, and this year he made threes at a at a high rate, very high rate. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, still, even with that, his overall offensive efficiency was was plus one relative efficiency on almost exactly average usage. Slightly, he was like nineteen point seven percent usage. So he he helps a little bit because players can help offensively you know at around average to even a little bit below average efficiency if you but it's it's not the kind of offense that you would want to like say build a team around or well, even to have as a major is, role in a major role like i i reject the notion that rui hachimura is a three-level scorer period full stop because um he, he's very inefficient from that middle level yeah. and the um it's awesome. It's great that he was uh, hitting threes at a high rate, and it's and it's good that he converts at a high rate into the from the basket, uh, you, you know, from from in close. So now, what is incumbent upon him and the coaching staff is to figure out ways to get him to the basket and the free throw line more, to get him to stop shooting um, from the mid range. Um, uh, where he's hurting the team and, and, you know, there is a potential, potentially useful player there, but then as you look at things like contracts and timelines and other options on the roster and theoretical market value and stuff like that, you know, he, he is at the top of my list of someone in terms of like, Hey, if, if you're looking to upgrade the talent level on the roster, this is someone who's, market value probably that there's a pretty uh that there's a gap between that and his on-court value now is the time to cash that in because in a year you're going to be left with um that that'll probably flip his his market value will drop yeah yeah so I, i agree with that um I, I, I'm not sure that he has much market value at this point. Um, my guess is that he's, um, especially having missed, you know, more than half of the season. Um, here's the thing. Other teams have savvy stat guys. They've got, uh, they do video review and uh, there, there is a kind of a, they can see what it is that he does and does well. And I think that. Yeah, but I, I, I just, I, I never. I never if I could trade him I would but (laughs) I never discount um the role of hubris in this oh yeah yeah. and that and and that other front offices say there's a player here and the wizards are developing him wrong and using him wrong and if we can just get him in with our coaches and our system Mm -hmm. you know uh there's really something here and so yeah you know as as you know from the wizards who you tell me all the time there are some very very bright people in their front office who know and agree with a lot of the stuff that we're saying but somehow the decisions that are actually getting made are not reflective of that knowledge and that agreement so you know the analytics guys in uh in 
may not be the ones making the calls um, yeah. on yeah. on this stuff. That's true. So okay, after Hachimura, we got Kispert, who his score uh, in my metric graded out. That's basically an average eighth man. Wizards naturally mm -hmm. were starting him the last half of the season. Now some of that's injury. Yeah. I mean, Beal was out hurt, so fine. And he was a rookie, and there was you know he got better as the season went on. Like yeah. there, there's some stuff to like with him, sure. Ish, you know, then you've got Ish Smith who when he was with the Wizards played at about the same level that Kispert did eighth man for the full season. He's like a, an 11th man. Mm -hmm. He's the kind of guy that you actually don't want as part of your main rotation. If, but if yeah. he's your like third point guard and you get some foul trouble, get a few guys injured and yeah. you know, sure. He's fine. Um, Anthony Gill came in as like an average ninth man. So, you know, tail end of the rotation kind of guy is fine. And the uh, Denny obvious sort of rounds out the rotation. Um, his, 69 PPA is about average for a 10th man in the, in the league. I don't know if you know this, um, but I learned from watching the Wizards play-by-play um, uh, -play guy on the TV broadcast, but Denny Avdia is Israeli. Um, what? Are you yeah. sure? I'm going to have to yeah. fact check that. I yeah. think that could be wrong. Um, um, so yeah, I know he played professionally there, but... Uh, yeah, classic example of, you know, you got to take everything. And, yeah. and, uh, so real, real quick, if you, if you want to, like, if you want to join me in EOR land <laughs> and get sad and maybe cry a little, right? So I think most Wizards fans would, would say Denny Avdia is much better than former Wizard Troy Brown Jr., right? I, I think most people would say that. I've heard some people comp the two. So if you want to get depressed, go to Stathead or go to Basketball Reference and do a comparison of Denny Avdia's second season to Troy Brown's second season. And um, look down at the you know, 100 per, 100 per 100 possession stats, look at the advanced stats. And what you'll see is they're actually very, very similar, number one. And number two, Troy Brown was a lot better. Um, in the second season. Now, Troy Brown fell apart. Hopefully, Avdia seems to have more like confidence and um, competitiveness than Brown had. But I'm just saying, if you want to sort of scratch your head and think about how young players develop or don't develop, uh, that kind of thing, just take a look at that. It's, uh, it's so, so, so what we're, what, so the optimist says we're just a year or two from trading Avdia for. To, to another team for a much better player. Yes. Um, for for Daniel Dafford. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I was thinking about Avdia a little bit, and it's like, uh, is he stylistically? Is there like, is there Bruce Brown type potential? Is there is there um, is there Gary Payton? the second type of potential. Obviously he's not a guard, but you know, Bruce Brown doesn't play like a guard, right? He's this new like hybrid one, five, whatever. He's like, he'll, he'll screen. And then it, it's sort of like the poor man's Draymond or whatever. A power where, guard or something. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. but you know, as was the case when he was coming into the league, like the swing skill with him is shooting and also like he, cannot go left and it is it is a little bit distressing when in like the the you know the the postseason wrap-ups and stuff and it's sort of like oh you know he's gonna work on his left hand this summer and i'm like yeah. dude this is the pros you're not in high so school like did, i did i made this comparison somewhere but um it, maybe it was just in private but it's like, the, here's the difference, right, in terms of like development is with Avdia, we're talking about, he needs to go, he needs to learn how to shoot, and he needs to learn how to use his left hand, right? So those are like, but the, those are like, in terms of basketball education, that's elementary school stuff, right? You, you're supposed yeah. to learn that stuff it's like early. You, you have to learn, you have to learn your multiplication table, right? And then in you order to work at NASA. Say, and, and I mean, I'm going to do it again, but compare that with Tyrese Halliburton right? What does Halliburton need to do to become like more? an even better player? Because Halliburton one is like much better already, right? He, he already has the skills. He's a great shooter. He's a very good ball handler. He's a terrific passer, um, right? So all of those things are still there for him. 
And so what does Halliburton need to do? He needs to get stronger. He needs to defend better. He needs to, um, you know, just gain game experience. Well, essentially what he is, is he's like in graduate school, right? He's, he's a senior, right? He's, he's already there. What he's, we're talking about there is he needs to like refine his game to go from being very good to being an all-star to being all NBA. And like, I mean, I, I made this bet with somebody on Twitter. I tried to, nobody, they wouldn't take it, but I, Halliburton will make more all-star teams than all, all of the Wizards young players combined. He's, he'll make all NBA much more likely to make all in all NBA than all of the Wizards young players combined currently. He's just, yeah. The, the, yeah. The only like, um, I remember hearing about shit. Now I'm not going to remember who it is. Uh, it was a baseball player in the fifties or sixties who basically who, who looked at his numbers at the end of the season um and was like i'm not striking out enough um and 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 because if i was striking out enough i'd be hitting instead of singles i'd be hitting more doubles and home runs and and so next season he struck out more and he like led the league in home runs or something like that and yeah. and uh, shame on me for forgetting who uh stan musel i think oh. i think it was stan musel um and um like so I kind of want Tyrese Halliburton to turn the ball over more yeah. um, because that will mean that he's, his usage is up and he's just trying to do more stuff. Yeah. Um, and, but, but yeah, he's, he, he's a good one and, and he's going to be very good. Yeah. Um, so can we talk about Porzingis for just a second? Yeah, because that was actually going to sort of lead into what I figured the next topic would be, which is to, to sort of take a look forward um, at next year and with, with a, a little grain of hope, I think we've been pretty well, depressed well, so far. Yeah. So, so that's, Go ahead. So, so, so same topic. So the, every, uh, we, anyone who's looking at Beal this year just has to say, okay, this was an aberration, right? This is an age related decline. This is, there was something going on. Maybe the front office knows, maybe it was just like, you know, some some years the ball doesn't go in or whatever, but it's sort of like Beal's in, in any projection, you have to hope that Beal is not going to be a uh, fourth or fifth man on a supermax contract. Otherwise, you know, they're doomed no matter what. Um, and and Porzingis obviously has zero value if he's not playing. But, um, you know, if you have if in Beal and Porzingis, you have two twos, right? It, two level guys that if you can cash in some of the crap that they have, you know, get lucky, do some arbitrage, whatever, and, and figure out how to grab a, a, maybe another two, maybe not another two in terms of name, but another two in terms of production. Right. Well, then at least it's sort of like, all right, you've got your 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 top three guys are 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 very good and you squint and maybe you get some improvement from from your bench you, you get lucky with the mid-level something like that i mean we're already off into la la land but whatever and it's sort of like all right if if the, if everything bounces right you know maybe you you you, you get a six seed or and or a, even a five seed and you win a round in the playoffs or whatever but um so again not what i want the organizational goals to be but if 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 they're keeping beal then then yeah i do want them to to trade Rui and consider trading that like, you got to trade one of 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 kuzma Rui, and denny and potentially two in in the right deal um and um uh you know, see if you can get a vet who maybe has had trouble staying healthy, but but you gamble on it, and so it's like, yeah, it, yeah, you so, know what I'm saying. Yeah. So the th- I one oh, one point where I disagree is that if Porzingis is not playing, he still has value, and the reason I say this is because the value there is that the team sucks. yes, the team it would be significantly Absolutely. worse. 
And so you, you get a higher draft pick. So you've introduced more variance uh, into, into the team's outcomes. So one of the things that drives me nuts about the cheerleader, um, cheerleader mentality in a lot of the local media is this idea, and we've seen it in a lot of different places, this idea that the Wizards are just a point guard away, that all they need is a point guard. And I love like, oh, all they need is, you know, Chris Paul. Like, yes, yeah. of course. Getting an all-time great, like one of the top two point guards who ever lived to, uh, you know, come in and say, and, and play point guard. Yeah, certainly the team would be better. But Phoenix stole him. Why can't we? <laughs> well, I think Phoenix kind of values him now. But um, yeah. The way I'm looking at the next year's roster is they've got, assuming that Porzingis is healthy enough to play, say, 65 games, right? And Beal is healthy enough to play, say, 65, 70 games, right? I'm just, let's just talk about sort of the idealized form of, of what their rotation would be, like if they could get everybody together. The way I'm looking at this is they essentially have two starters. And so they've got Beal and they have Porzingis, one, two, both twos, really, but those are both like again just to player. clarify we're not talking about two in terms of position we're talking about two in terms of like rank hierarchy. on the team yeah, yeah. production yeah. on the team is what we're really talking about here so and then after that it's like they really don't have a starter like they want gafford to come off the bench and he he's really in their thinking anyway like a six seven right and they're looking at him as being like an 18 minute a game player maybe 20 right but in that 18 to 20 minute range, because that's where they've kept him really, regardless of who else is available. So can, can, I, can we stop there for a second? Yeah. So there is, there is an interesting subplot with that. And by the way, it relates to Porzingis. And that is they, ex, they extended Gafford. Mm -hmm. His extension does not kick in next season. It kicks in the season yeah. after next. Yep. So next year, Gafford's going to be paid, you know, pennies by nba standards yep um and then you know he goes to i think what's basically like the the robert williams contract or, or close to it mm -hmm. it's like three for 48 or three for 42 or something like that i think it's um yeah it's like three for 40 it's i think it starts around yeah. 12 yeah so so um by the way do you know offhand if they were to trade him next year if his salary if if he if they would trade him if for trade purposes his salary counts at his next year's salary, I think it's going to be like that poison pill provision thing where it's like got it. it's a got weird it. thing. It's outgoing at one yeah. price and incoming at a so, different price. So uh, the interesting thing is it relates to Porzingis is that Porzingis has two years left on his deal. The last year is is not guaranteed. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry. The last year is a player option. Right. And so. In the scenario where Porzingis um, plays 68 or 73 games next year mm -hmm. and is like, you know what, um, I would like, rather than having one year and $30 million or 35, whatever the number is left on my contract, I'd kind of like four and 120 because I have an in, you know, injury history or whatever, like yeah. he could, he could walk after next year. And, yeah. and that, and, and that rolls back into your like uh point about if he's not on the floor or on the team like then the decision gets made for them that they just they just suck and 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 they end up tanking which you know for a while we thought was going to be the case last year and then they went on this you know ridiculously dumb run which a helped them trade Westbrook, but B cost them, you know, the 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 the, uh, the as opposed to Toronto, who who had a you know the Tampa tank and ended up with Scotty Barnes, yeah. who's a, a foundational piece. Yeah. And then this year, it's sort of like uh, they made this Porzingis trade, and then we're like, all right, let's let's see how good we can be, instead of saying, all right we're going to see how good we can be over the summer. Let's shut everyone down right now and make sure we get, you know, we have a 30% chance of making it into the top four. And now they have, I think it's like a 14% chance. So, yeah. you know, uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think that they're still a ways away because like I said, I think they've got two starters. They're two high-end starters. And then after that, Every every player they have after that 
is basically better suited to come off the bench. When when we remember in the early in the in the preseason and stuff, there was all of these there were all of these stories, and the narrative was, well, the Wizards have depth, right? And it's like what they have is a whole bunch of guys who one play the same position, and two are all kind of about the same, right? And and the about the same isn't like good. Like if you you look at a team like Memphis, Memphis has depth. Right, they have quality. Well, the Wizards had depth; they just didn't have any high-end talent. It's sort of like they could run two bench units. It doesn't matter who you play because none of them are any good. I know, right? They could run two bench units, but they don't have starters. You know that. That's and that's that's kind of the situation they're going to be in for next season too. Kuzma should be a six man, right? KCP should be a six man. So right there, you've got the makings of a good bench if you're bringing those guys off off the bench because those are both good players, and if they're coming off the bench. That they're good anchors. I mean, they're good sixth, seventh man in a in a rotation, right? And then it's like, okay, then you've got Gafford. So you, now you've got another bench guy, right? Who's really should be, you know, he's low end starter or you know a sixth, seventh man type guy. So now you've got three guys for a you know solid bench. And uh, Kispert is you know theoretically possibly an eighth man, right? So okay, now you're pretty good with the bench. Haven't talked about Hachimura yet, who's basically like a notch below. He's not as good as Kuzma or KCP or Gafford. Uh, so, or even Kispert. Well, he's better than Kispert at this point. Maybe we'll, we'll see next season. But my point, and, right. And then you've got Denny, who is like a ninth, probably a ninth man next year, season, assuming he makes some progress, maybe an eighth. And so now you've got like six guys for what should be a four-person bench, four or five-person bench. And you're still three starters. You don't have three starters. So I think that right. they're basically a point guard, a small forward, and a starting power forward or center away. So there's two there's two things here. One is that you know the optimist view has to be that like this stuff is dynamic, right? Like that these um, that that players get better. So that you know Denny's a you know in your analysis, Kevin uh, Denny may be a ninth man now, but you know, He's but a tenth if, man now, I'm I'm right? promoting but, him for but, next season. Oh, okay. Well, but but he could take a leap. But 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 what you're saying is that uh, you know very soberly and clearly is that Denny's leap, you know, maybe gets him like if he were to really take a leap, he'd be like a high end bench player. You know, yeah. it, it, like it's not realistic for 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 us to say that like. You know that that he could be a a, a, a high end starter, right? I so, mean, is so he going to be one... the team's third best starter next season? No, better not. Better not. Or, or or again, like just hope we're really wrong. He, so here's the other thing: the strategic piece, and this is what I always come back to, is that as you have rightly said, Kuzma and Caldwell Pope are useful players. Yeah, they are in their prime. They are entering the last season on their of their contracts. So you have two choices with them. You can pay market value or potentially above market value for the portion of their career that, that where for, for their prime or potentially where you might get some of the their decline. Um, and by the way, that's in the context of where you're paying Bradley Beal the supermax. Mm-hmm. Or you could say, Hey, these guys are very useful to good teams in their properly slotted roles, and we can and we can use that value and the recognition of where they are on their timeline continuum to 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 restock and and to build our our talent base. And so it's going to be really frustrating if you know they give these guys uh, expensive extensions or. Um, end up losing them for nothing um, uh, next summer. And, yeah. and uh, you know, if I had to guess right now, you know, they, they trade KCP at the deadline for a second round pick and they extend Kuzma for, um, for, for too much money. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think that those are uh, very plausible. And um, one of the things that I would be, I mean, we've talked about this before. They need a, they, a consolidation trade would be great. Like if they could get somebody who is like 24, 25 years old and has at least the potential to be, say, a, a real third starter, like a real third, you know, third most productive guy, right? Because they've got the ones and twos, theoretically, assuming that Beal bounces back to what he was 
you know, before this season when he was kind of mediocre, right? So, uh, you know, I've spitballed on a few, but like one of my favorite ones is basically trade all of the young players and a second round pick, I mean, and a, a first round pick or two or however many, not however many, but some package of, of players and picks for Shea Gildas Alexander, right? Yeah. I could see OKC doing that. He's, Shea's really good and he'd be a, he'd be a terrific fit in as, as a sort of a second, third guy with um, Porzingis and, uh, and Beal. But um, I don't he'd know if he'd have I, the appetite to swing for the fence like that. I don't even think, I, I, honestly, I don't think Oklahoma City would look at that because it's like at a, at a certain point, uh, like they're below the salary floor and they have, they already have picks that will result in diminishing returns sure. from the standpoint of, of, uh, of, of roster space. Yeah. It's like they got to pay someone and, and he's good. They're under no pressure. Like his, his contract puts them under no pressure. So I, I don't, I don't see why they would take the poo-poo platter and a couple of picks um, for this him. Space, I poo, think poo. anyway, go ahead. I, I, I think so. so uh, look, th- there are, there are two kinds of trades. I think they could make w- one is for veterans who are um, who are either at the end of their prime or who are past their prime, but still good and have, injury concerns i.e brogdon or conley uh and conley's not going anywhere if utah like stays the course but uh, you know if if they end up saying all right we're gonna do a soft rebuild or whatever like he's 34 um the other is if they um if they were to trade for a young guy who's underperformed um in the aldridge josh robbins piece they they wondered you know robbins used to be the beat guy for the orlando magic and you know there everyone sees that the magic have cole anthony and mark Fultz. and by the way they just used the number five pick on jalen suggs who as i recall was the number one prospect in ye old draft analyzer known as yoda Mm -hmm. um and was terrible as um a, a, a rookie and sort of like all right do the magic say you know normally we'd uh is one of those guys available and i know that all of them come with separate risks and we don't have to dig into each one um yeah. and i know you're running out of time yeah. but um I, but it, it's something like that they're either you know going for a young guy with warts or an old guy with hemorrhoids um from being old um <laughs> and like yes and um outside of that and, and and so it's very hard to look at their roster and their asset base and see how they take a significant leap next year and yeah. that's why so many of us want them to you know detonate the roster and start fresh because well, like, that, what's the yeah. point of all of this? Yeah, I mean, and this is something they tried to do last year with uh, Dinwiddie, you know, t- making that deal for Dinwiddie. It, the problem was they v- viewed him as a, a second guy, right, as the, the number two starter, basically, um, in, in terms of production, again, not position, but they viewed him, and what he was was a five, six, seven, five, six, seven, where, and he came in, and I will say his performance in Washington was a six, seven. Right, he was a another a wizard, six, seven man. Another wizard whose ideal role is as a six man for the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah. So Antoine and, Jameson, and, yeah. Antoine Jameson being the first. Yes. Whose who, whose best ever year was uh, uh, was was coming off the bench for the Mavs, and then he came here and was he he was good, yeah. but you know, right. So I can see them doing something like, you know, trading Kuzma for, um, you know, like Monty Morris, something like that. Uh, Yeah. It would be great to get somebody like a, you know, like a Tyus Jones from, from Memphis or, you know, but um, yeah, I think we've kicked this around pretty good. Unless you've got some parting thoughts. I know that we are um, running up against our time. So um, we will. uh, Uh, (laughs) My parting thoughts are it's good to talk to you. It's a little sad to have the same conversation 
at the end of every season. As always, I hope beyond all hope that we are wrong because this is a basketball town. This is a basketball region. Mm -hmm. And and what people around the country do not realize is if we were ever able to build a sustained winner here, this would be a glamour basketball market. Yeah. And that's what I and, yeah. and that's what I dream about and that I hope one day we get to see. Yeah. Um, we're nowhere close, but um, here's hoping. Yeah. All right. So we will uh, wrap up there on a note of hope and uh, we'll be back soon with more episodes of the So Wizards podcast. Thank you.